Good morning, church. The scripture reading for this morning is Luke 2, verses 15 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20. When the angels went away from them unto, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. May the Lord have the blessing to the reading of his word. Well, I'm reminded around the, um, this time of year when we meditate upon <clears throat> the coming of our Lord into our world that um, some of us grew up um, in the Catholic tradition. Some of us were raised in that, or, or if not raised, some of us were educated in the Catholic um, tradition. And a huge part of the Catholic tradition is what is known as the Ave Maria, or for the Scroggins, that's the Hail Mary, amen? Amen. It is a prayer uh, that Catholics uh, pray in their uh, rosary. Many of us are familiar with it. Hail Mary, it says, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and in the hour of our death. Amen. Unbeknownst to a lot of us, that a prayer is really founded on um, some significant passages of, of Scripture. For the Bible does tell us that Mary was indeed blessed. The Bible says that she was blessed and she was full of, of grace. We know that she was blessed among women, and we do know that her womb was blessed. And definitely the fruit of her womb is blessed, for he is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, the Catholic tradition takes uh, that understanding uh, too far, and so unlike the Catholic tradition, we do not venerate Mary. We don't regard her as someone, therefore, who can intercede for us on our behalf, and therefore we do not pray to Mary and ask Mary to pray for us because we understand that the Bible tells us, right, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, that there is only one mediator between God and men, and that mediator is who? It's not Mary, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray the Lord Jesus and that he would mediate our prayers to God. And even though we don't venerate Mary, I think just a serious understanding of Scripture and study of Scripture would cause us to understand that we do need to acknowledge her significance. 
for she indeed was blessed among women. Blessed because of the call of God on her life. Blessed because of the example and model of faith and submission that she is for us. For you do understand, beloved, that Mary had a most daunting, and I would suggest the most intimidating assignment that God had given to any one of his subjects. She was to give birth to the Christ. She was to give birth to Emmanuel, God with us. You can only imagine, and we can only imagine how difficult a task and daunting assignment this was for this young teenage girl imagining not only giving birth to Emmanuel, but then having to raise God with us. It was a most difficult time, and yet I would suggest to you this morning that it was the most wonderful time in history. One of the most popular songs about this time, this Christmas season that we hear over and over again is the song, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. With kids jingle bell in and everyone telling you be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But I don't, I don't know if Mary and Joseph would have sung that song. I mean, I can't imagine that it was the most wonderful time to be given birth. So far, far away from home in a strange city without anywhere to sleep or to lay this mother's head without anywhere for this baby to come into this world and find the warmth of a home. This was not the most wonderful time to be given birth for this expectant mother. And yet, even if it wasn't the most wonderful time of the year, I want to suggest to you this morning that it is and was the most wonderful time in history. The most wonderful time in history. And I want to suggest to you that Mary began to understand that and she began to embrace it. It may not have been the most ideal time to give birth, but it was the most wonderful time she could ever imagine. I want us, like Mary, again to learn to cherish and ponder and treasure the wonder of the birth of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ this morning. What a wonderful, wonderful time. Luke chapter 2 is, is that birth narrative of Jesus that is most familiar to us and is basically broken down into three sections. If you go back, perhaps you have three headings in your 
of Bible, but it's broken down into three sections. It's broken down into the birth of Christ, verses 1 through through 7. It's broken down there, and secondly, in, into the, the visit of the angels to the shepherds out in the field, in verses 18 through through 14, and then it's broken down into the latter part of the shepherds going back and, and testifying in the Bethlehem and meeting Mary and Joseph in verses 15 through 20. And this morning, we want to focus our attention, most of our attention, on verses 15 through, through 20. But before we focus our attention on verses 15 through 20, I thought it'd be just a good idea to make some highlights, to, to, uh, to see the high points in, in the first two sections that sets up that last section in which we will spend most of our time. Amen? And so even though we didn't read the first two sections, I want to call your attention back to those first two sections real briefly, and then we will uh, spend the most of our time in the last section, 15 through 20. And in, in, in the beginning of the chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we have what we should refer to as a wonderful birth. And then in the section, section we'll have what we refer to as a most wonderful night. And then in the last section, we will meditate upon this most wonderful treasure. Did you get that, Sister Duncan? All right. We have a most wonderful birth. We'll meditate briefly upon uh, a most wonderful night. And then we will spend the bulk of our time meditating upon this most wonderful treasure. Most wonderful birth. You see that in verses 1 through Seven for the birth of Christ Jesus itself. If you read this passage of Scripture, the birth it itself is not attended with anything miraculous. You see that all of this thing that had been going on prior to the verse, the visiting of the, the angels, the promises of who he would be. But when the birth actually came in Bethlehem, it is not attended with anything miraculous. But on the surface, it seemed that Jesus came into the world like any other baby did. There was a mother, Mary. There was a father, Joseph, there. And there was no room in the inn. And they were in this small, obscure town known as Bethlehem. Nothing spectacular about this, beloved. I am quite confident that Jesus wasn't the only baby born in Bethlehem that night. Bethlehem was an out-of-the-way place. Nobody paid too much attention to it, a, a small city. The big city was Atlanta. They, Bethlehem was like East Point. <laughs> Can anything good come out of East Point? That's why we sing, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. And yet and still, the wonder of God attended even the most simplest of circumstances. It was a simple birth in a simple place 
but it was simply wonderful. It was wonderful because of what else was going on even outside of Bethlehem. Beginning in verse 1, you see what the Bible is communicating to us. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Don't miss that, beloved. The Bible is communicating to us here. The Bible is communicating to us more, more, more than just Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem as the prophecy had said. But the Bible is communicating to us who Jesus is in light of who is in the world. Augustus is Caesar. Quirinius is governor. Herod is king. But this baby born in Bethlehem is Lord. There are some powerful figures on the scene. There are some mighty places in the world. Great rulers reign with great power in great places. Augustus was in Rome. Quirinius is in Syria. Herod is in Jerusalem. And yet, center of the universe is not Rome. It's not Jerusalem. It's Bethlehem. And the center of that universe is not the Caesar. It's not the governor. It's not the king. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. It's the Lord, beloved. It's the, it's the Lord. The small, obscure town, this little known baby reigns. The world is impressed with the great places. So are you and I. Great places where great men and women reign. Washington, D.C., with its seats of, of power and government and the White House and Congress. Moscow, Russia, with its ever-intimidating Kremlin. New York City and London with its grand financial institutions. The great places of this world, however, beloved, do not impress God. The great rulers of this world do not intimidate or worry God, and therefore, beloved, they should not intimidate or worry God's people. When President Bush was elected, a lot of my Democrat friends thought the world was coming to an end. When Barack Obama was elected, a lot of my Republican friends thought the world was coming to an end. And when Trump was elected, all of my friends <laughs> think the world is coming to an end. Beloved, let me suggest to you this morning, however, whether it's Bush or Obama or Trump, God is not moved. 
He who sits in the heavens, the Bible says, laughs. He is unmoved, beloved. For even in the birth of Christ, we are reminded of the way of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose weak things of the world to shame strong. What a wonderful birth. And that wonderful birth gave way to a most wonderful night. We could spend a lot of time on that. We're, we're going to move on to our second section. And what a wonderful night. And what a wonderful night. In verses 8 through 14. For the wonder of God, beloved, was not just in that stable. But the wonder of God was also in the sky. And, and, and while the stable in Bethlehem was quiet and solemn, the skies just outside of town, they were lit up like the 4th of July. The night that our good and great shepherd was born in Bethlehem, God revealed himself and sent his angels to the lowly shepherds out in the field. Beloved, there were some spectacular events surrounding the birth and the coming of Christ into the world, but I would suggest to you this morning that none more spectacular than the angelic visit to those unwitting shepherds. It is perhaps the most familiar account surrounding Jesus' birth, if it's for no other reason than that wonderful soliloquy given by Linus in a Charlie Brown Christmas. And even though, again, beloved, we could spend a lot of time here, and I would love to, this portion of the text is not the focus of our message, but there are some very important things to note. And particularly one of note is that God chose these shepherds. Of all the people, of all the people on the earth to reveal the revelation of God in flesh appearing, God chose the lowly shepherds. Why did God choose these shepherds, beloved? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, it's because if you study the history of the scriptures, God's people have been mostly shepherds. God's people have been shepherds throughout redemptive history. The Bible tells us that Abel was a shepherd. Lot was a shepherd. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob were shepherds. Laban was a shepherd. Rachel was a shepherd. 
all of Jacob's sons were shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Amos, a shepherd. And shepherding, beloved, at the time that our Lord came into the world was not a highly regarded occupation. It was regarded as a lowly, menial job. It was despised in many quarters. It was rejected in many areas. But it was blessed by God. God chose the, low, the lowly and weak, reminding us that Jesus would come into the world lowly and weak. God chose the despised and rejected, reminding us that Jesus himself would be despised and rejected. The shepherds were insignificant in the eyes of the world, but isn't that just like God? to make significant what the world thinks is insignificant. And because of this, beloved, the shepherds were astonished. Astonished. They were astonished. And they would see these angels. They were astonished at the light show. They were astonished at the angelic concert. They were astonished at what they saw. But let me suggest to you that the height of their astonishment was not at what they saw or what they heard. The height of their astonishment is that they were chosen. Have you wondered about that? Have you thought about that? Have you ever been amazed? Not just at salvation, beloved, but have you been amazed that you have been chosen to receive it? Have you ever wondered? Has it ever stopped you in your tracks? Has it ever caused your heart to miss a beat? Not at the fact that Christ died on the cross, but that you have been the chosen recipient of that grand gesture. They were astonished, beloved. Because the revelation of God came to them. Not Augustus. Not not Herod, but the shepherds. Isn't that just like God? Isn't that what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 again, this time in verse 28? God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. What a most wonderful night in which God chose the shepherds. What a most wonderful birth in which God chose 
Bethlehem. And all of this gave way to a most wonderful treasure. Verses 15 through 30, and this is where we will spend the rest of our time, beloved, looking at this amazing testimony that we have in this passage. There are many things, there are many things to contemplate at the Christmas season, beloved. There are many things that take up our time and our thoughts and our energy at this time of the year. But let me suggest to you this morning that there is nothing more wonderful for your contemplation. There is nothing more beautiful for your meditation than is the thought that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. That Emmanuel, God became flesh and dwelt among us. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because the grand reality of this awesome truth hit those shepherds, beloved, like a ton of bricks. And those shepherds wasted no time in heading for Bethlehem. And when they got to Bethlehem, beloved, I don't know, maybe the, the angels gave them the address to the stables. I don't know. I don't know how they found that stable when a town that was probably full of them. Maybe they went knocking door to door. But whatever the case, beloved, they, with all the energy they can muster, muster, the Bible says that they made haste. And they went, and they went. And when they arrived, they couldn't fast enough bear witness to what they saw and heard. God had a message. God had a message that he wanted to get to Mary and Joseph. He had a word that he wanted to get to Mary and Joseph, and God could have chosen the angels. That's what he had done previously. He could have chosen the angels to get this word to Mary and Joseph, but this time he didn't choose the angels. He had a word for Mary and Joseph, and this time he chose the shepherds. And therefore, beloved, these shepherds become the first apostles. But what is an apostle? Apostle is one who has been sent with a message, and these shepherds become, therefore, the first apostles. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus chooses his first apostles, what does he do? He sends them out as what? Shepherds. Peter, feed my sheep. 
these shepherds become apostles. And in God's grand plan and decree, the apostles would themselves become shepherds. And they come, these shepherds, they come to shepherd the hearts of Mary and Joseph with an apostolic message from God. And when the Bible says, and when the people gathered there, when Joseph and Mary heard the message, the Bible says that they were amazed. I'm thinking about Joseph this morning. Joseph was amazed. Verse 17 and 18, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered, were amazed at what the shepherds told them. Beloved, we don't know who all was there. We don't know who all was there. Perhaps by now others had gathered together there in that stable. Perhaps the innkeeper had come and gathered together. Perhaps there were others there who were worried about this young lady giving birth to this child in the stable, and they had gathered around to see if they could help. But by the time that the shepherds got there and began to give testimony to all that they had saw and the wonders of God out in the field and the angelic messengers, when they told their story, everybody was amazed. I'm particularly thinking about Joseph. What a comfort that wonder and amazement must have been to that there, to his heart. Because, beloved, you, Joseph may still have been questioning what it all meant. He might have been questioning what it all meant. Because maybe he was waiting. He knew what the angel had told him, and, and so he was not judging his, his intended wife. But maybe he was still waiting to see if this is really Christ, then when he is born, everything's going to light up. When he comes into the world, the angels are going to come. Everybody's going to come and worship him. We're going to see the sky open up and heaven is going to speak. This is from God. And when Mary gave birth, beloved, there were no bells. There were no whistles. There was no band. The skies didn't open up. It's just Joseph, Mary, the baby, and all these animals and whoever else is in this stable. Where is God? And then the shepherds come. And then the shepherds come. Joseph is thinking, Baby came into the world in the usual way. And the shepherds come and they say, oh, no, he didn't. Oh, no, he didn't, beloved. So they speak of stars in the sky. They speak of angels flying around. They speak of the good news of great joy that is to all the nations. They speak of a baby 
that they were told would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be wrapped in swaddling cloths and he'd be lying in a manger. And when they got there, there he was. They speak of an angelic choir that sings glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill to those with whom God is pleased. Can you imagine what Joseph thought when he heard that message? He was amazed. He was comforted. He was shepherded for God had once again sent a comfort to his soul. Joseph was amazed. And Mary, beloved, was consoled. You see that in verse 19? But Mary, the Bible says, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She contemplated. She listened to the testimony of the shepherds and she contemplated and took them all to heart. She treasured and meditated upon them, allowing this word from the Lord to penetrate her inner being and to massage and comfort her soul. You know why? Because she would need it, beloved. She would need it. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2 and verse 25 that Jesus is called the consolation of Israel. Remember last week we talked about in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1, the comfort that would come when God says to the prophet, you go and comfort ye my people, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Then the Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 25 that Jesus is that comfort. He is that consolation. And the first one that Jesus comforted was Mary. She was comforted. And she was not just comforted by the blessed presence of our Savior, but she was also comforted and consoled by the testimony of his person and work from these shepherds. To hear the shepherds' testimony was to remind this young woman that it was all worth it. It would all be worth it, Mary. It would all be worth it. And again, I want to draw your attention to the reality, beloved, that nobody, nobody had a more difficult task and nobody had a more daunting calling than this young woman. And yet, nobody, nobody would have been so blessed. She was reminded there again that her womb carried joy. She was reminded that she had given birth to hope. 
she was reminded that even then she was nursing eternal life. And all this, all this, the Bible says she treasured. She treasured. You know why she treasured it? Because she was a treasurer. I'm not talking about financial treasurers. I'm talking about treasuring that which is of eternal value. She treasured the things of God. And to treasure here, the idea of treasure here in this text, the word treasure, it means to remember. It means to take to heart. To treasure means to preserve. This is the idea that the Bible gives us in, in Psalm 119 and, and verse 11, where the Bible says, Your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. It is that idea, beloved. It is not just hearing the things of God. It is not just seeing the things of God. It is not just being amazed at what God has done. But it is taking what you have seen and what you have heard and taking that to heart and allowing it to reach the depths of your being where it changes your continent. and your perspective, and your understanding. And Mary needed this, beloved. She needed this. And so she preserved all that she heard and took it to heart. She listened to what the angels told the shepherds. And she began to remember what the angels had said to her. And, and to treasure, therefore, means that you begin to put the pieces together. That's how you know you treasure the word of God. You do understand. You know you treasure the word of God because when you're in Sunday school class, you're hearing the word of God and you're chewing on it and you're meditating on it. And then when you come into the sermon, there's something that the pastor says concerning the scripture and you begin to put the pieces together. But if you miss the pieces, it's because you're not treasuring the word. But when you treasure it, you hide it in you. Every time you hear the word of God, you begin to put pieces together. And all of God's grand purposes and plans for your life begins to make sense. This is how it knows you're treasuring the things of God because your life is not just a, a bunch of unfitted pieces. But you're treasuring what God is doing. And you're looking and you're seeking to understand how this aspect of your life is fitting into this other aspect of your life and how God is weaving together a grand tapestry for his glory and your good. And you're waiting on it because you're treasuring what he's doing and what he's saying and what he means. So to treasure means to begin to put the pieces together. And she listened to what the angels said to the shepherds. 
And she remembered what the angel had told her and what the angel had said to Joseph. She remembered what Elizabeth had told her. And it began to all come together. And she would need that, beloved. She would need it. And she treasured it. Has anyone ever given you a gift of such meaning or performed for you an act of such kindness and love that your response to them was, I'm going to treasure this for the rest of my life. That's Mary. That's Mary. But she was a treasurer. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 51, the Bible says later on at the end of this chapter, she does the same thing. She treasured the things that Simeon had said. She treasured what the shepherds read. She treasured what God had promised. She remembered and she preserved these things. That's why, beloved, in John chapter 2, when they're at the wedding feast in Cana and the wedding and the, and the wine runs out and there is a problem, she looks around and says, hey, Jesus can fix it. Because I know who he is. I remember what God told me. And I know he can fix it. That's how you know you're treasuring things, beloved. When circumstances come up and they rise in your life and the first thing you reach for is not your credit card. The first thing you reach for is not your anxiety and your worry. The first thing you reach for is not some other friend's ear that you can bend and dump on. But the first thing you reach for is the hand of God. That's how you know you're treasuring. Amen, Christian. <laughs> Therefore, beloved, in John chapter 2, at the wedding feast, she looked around and said, don't worry. Jesus can fix it. She treasured these things. That's why, beloved, when she begins to hear how they are reviling her son, how they are persecuting her son, and she reports of all the, the reports of what he's having to endure as he makes his way around Palestine. She could be comforted knowing the purposes of God for her son. This is why she could be there on that day on which Christ was crucified, and she could be standing there beholding her son persecuted and murdered before her eyes and still trusting in the promises of God. She treasured, she treasured the thought of Christ, the thought of this child. And she held him close to her heart. Never, never, never a day, beloved, never a day without thinking about Jesus. Never a night without wondering about the purposes and the plan of God for his life. Isn't that, that's what parents do. Isn't that what parents do? Isn't that what parents do? 
Mothers, has there ever been a day, has there ever been a day when you have not thought about your children? Has there ever been a night when you lay down your head that you don't meditate upon your children? Imagine Mary, not a day, beloved, not a day that she didn't think about Jesus. Not a night that she didn't wonder where he was and what God was doing. Can you believe that? I mean, Mary thought about Jesus all the time. We talk about it, but she actually did. She thought on Christ all the time. You love Jesus, beloved? Do you love Jesus? You know, if you ask me, I would tell you, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. But I have to admit this morning that I don't love Jesus like Mary loved Jesus. For Mary loved Jesus for all the reasons that I love Jesus and then some. Well, that was her baby. And she treasured him. Reminds us to love Jesus. And he was not just her son, but she treasured him. Because also, he was her savior. Oh, beloved, what a wonderful thought. What a wonderful thought. That he was not just her son, but that he was her savior. There is no more glorious thought. There is no more wonderful thought this morning and even at this season, beloved, than the thought that he who was born to this young virgin girl would grow to be our Savior. What a wonderful thought. What a wonderful treasure, beloved, that happened on this wonderful night because of this wonderful birth. is indeed the most wonderful time of the year. That is only because of the most wonderful time in history, beloved. It's only true because Mary gave birth to a wonderful child who was born to be our most wonderful Savior. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, how marvelous. And my song shall forever be beloved. I pray today that you again stand amazed at the wonder that is Christ born to save. Let's pray.